morning, New Hope. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Check. All right. Good. Glad to be here. Thank you all for having me. Uh, my name, well, first I want to carry on complimenting you. You guys are wonderful. I had two elders uh, that I met head on. Uh, first, I've never seen an elder be an usher. Uh, that's a great compliment to your leadership. Um, also, as soon as I was met at the door, they wanted to know, can they help with this? Um, you all are accommodating, and I appreciate it. Um, but anyway, my name is Henry Flowers. Uh, my business card says Henry C. Flowers III, Associate Pastor of Evangelical Reformed Church in Tacoma. And I've been here in Tacoma, in the state of Washington. Well, my family and I, we've been here since December 6th, was our first Sunday. My wife, Kristen, is in the back. She loves attention, y'all, so look at her. <laughs> She's there with our daughter, our youngest child. Um, soon to be not, not that would be the case here in November because we're expecting our fourth child. We don't have a name for him yet, and it isn't he. We've already determined it's a he. No, seriously, it's a he. <laughs> to the point. I want to play that. Um, also, I have two other boys, Ezekiel, who is five, and Isaac, who is four. Um, I'm from Mississippi. I was there, been there my whole life. I'm a native. Um, Reuben and I went to seminary together in Jackson. Jackson is the capital of Mississippi. Um, and Reuben's a swell guy. Um, he's as uh, lovable as he is big. And he, he loves this church and he loves the youth that he works with. I just want to assure you of that. Um, now, this, you asked, what's this all about? Um, such a boring story. I'll make it quick. Um, some of you may have not may not know what a warp wall is. A warp wall is just a wall with a slope. Okay, you can run up it and grab it. It's on TV. Um, well, uh, I thought I could do it. I did, and I reached it, uh, but not without some wreckage, without collateral. Uh, as I was running up this wall, I felt as though someone threw a frisbee at the back of my cab. I actually asked out loud, "Who threw something at me?" No, it was my Achilles. So um, that's it. Told you, not that exciting. <laughs> but I tell you what is exciting. That is the word of God. Um, we're gonna, our text this morning is gonna come from Genesis 32, verses uh, 22 to 31. It says 30, but we're gonna go all the way to 31. But before we read our text, a few comments. His cover was blown, and his sins had found him out. For his deception, for his lies, and for his cheating, Jacob had fled to a foreign land in order to escape Esau's wrath, and he remained in exile for 20 years. That is, of course, until God calls him to return. But before Jacob could return to face his brother, he would need to first face his God. You see, friends, what we are about to witness in this text is a testimony of how God, like a loving father to a son, confronts to discipline the one he loves. This is a testimony of how God turns Jacob from a cheater to an all-out contender. So I invite you to witness the redemption, witness the glory, witness the blessing that comes when Jacob struggles with God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, it is our great privilege to meet with you this morning on your day, the Lord's day. Father, I ask that you would tend to us by your spirit that your son would shepherd us through this text, that he would minister to us 
and he will show us the great hope we have. And this is from the Old Testament. We find hope even in the Old Testament. Let this hope take root in the hearts of your people here in New Hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now on to the text. Beginning in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that, why is it that you ask me my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. As God's word for God's people. Before we look at Jacob's struggle with God, let us consider first the context. Now who was Jacob? To answer that, we need look no further than his name. In the Hebrew, his name Jacob effectively means cheater. Now imagine if your name was cheater. How rough would that be? My last name is Flowers. Now I'm proud of my last name, but I've heard all the jokes since I was little. Nevertheless, and I'm sure you would agree, that Flowers is by far a better name than cheater. And Jacob lived up to this name. Cheating, lying, stealing, deception were sins that characterized a man named Cheetah. And no one knew this more than his older twin brother, Esau. He cheated Esau from the moment he was born, Genesis 25, 26. Afterwards, Esau's brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, or he who cheats. He cheated Esau when he was starving, Genesis 25, 32 through 34. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, and he drank, and arose, and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And he cheated Esau out of his father's blessing, the same blessing Esau was entitled to receive at the death of their father, Isaac. And he lied to his father in order to receive that blessing. We see this in Genesis 27, 35 through 36. But Isaac said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, is, not right, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Now Esau had suffered his brothers cheating his whole life. But this time he had gone too far. Esau had enough. 
He had enough of his cheating. He had enough of his lies. Lies. And by the time he had learned what Jacob had done, Esau placed to put an end to this cheating. And we see this in Genesis 27:4. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning of my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now the cheater, Jacob, stayed to face his brother, Esau, for a time. At the behest of his mother and co-conspirator Rebekah, Jacob fled to Haran, the land of her people. For his deception, for his lies, for his cheating, Jacob the cheat was exiled to a foreign land, where he was saved for 20 years. Note of application. If you sin, that puts a breach in your relationship with whomever it is you're related to. The more you sin, the further apart you grow. That's what happened with Jacob and his brother. Thanks be to God for Christ because he, he, he gives us that plateau, that bridge in which there is a gulf between us and God. For his deception, for his lies, for his cheating, Jacob the chief was exiled to a foreign land where he was saved for 20 years. That is, of course, until God called him to return. We see this in Genesis 31, 3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jacob returned to face his brother, but first he would have to face his God. He would not do it alone facing his brother. God had promised to be with him. And here, as it were, is where the rubber meets the road. You see, Jacob's sin had caught up with him, and he knew it. He knew he deserved to be punished, and he was not consoled by God's promise to be with him. You see, Jacob was returning no better than when he left. He was still a cheater. He was still a liar, and his faith in God's love and protection was weak. But God would not let this be. He would not let Jacob return to his brother the same man as when he left. No, Jacob returned a new man, with a new man, no longer known as the cheater, but the contender. And for once, for the first time in his life, he would not cheat and lie in order to steal God's blessing. Rather, he would confess the truth about himself and then receive God's blessing. Indeed, in order to be blessed by God, he must confess to God who he really is, a cheater. And in return, God would bless him and give him a new name. But Jacob, like most of us, when we come under the heavy hand of God's discipline, would not relent without a fight. Indeed, Jacob was forced to fight. He is forced to contend. He is forced to struggle with God. Before I move on to the exposition, In their struggle, God first humbles Jacob. How? God humbles Jacob first by taking away his means. Look with me in verse 22, beginning in verse 22. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the jack. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. God loved Jacob and wanted Jacob to change from being a cheater to a contender. He wanted him to be a man of faith and integrity, 
So in order to get him there, God will either take away the things Jacob relied on most, and the first were his means. Now what do I mean by means? By means I mean those things he used to bribe others to give him what he wanted. Earlier we read that he used Red Sue to bribe his brother, to give him his birthright. This time, to garner his favor, he would use his riches. So God, knowing Jacob was afraid of his brother and lacked the faith to trust God's promise to protect him, put Jacob in a spot where Jacob would again resort to robbery as a way out. That's what a cheater would do, right? And indeed he did. Being overcome with anxiety, Jacob liquidates all his assets and gives them away in order to appease Esau, thus leaving himself financially broke. No more resources, no more tricks. Jacob is all alone. It is at this point, when Jacob is vulnerable, broke, and alone, that God confronts him and they begin to wrestle. Now rest assured, God does not unleash on Jacob. God versus Jacob is not a fair fight. The point here is not to kill Jacob, only to humble him. So as a father wrestles with his five-year-old, tossing him about gently to give the kid a workout, so too does God wrestle with Jacob. Now Jacob is stubborn. He may be a chief, but a quitter he is not. Think about it. You all know his story. He had been cheating and scheming against his brother Esau their whole lives. He waited 14 years to marry his beloved Rachel. And to trick his uncle, he bred a flock, a whole flock of defective sheep. And there's no telling how long that took. He is persistent. He was manipulative. He was a control freak. And he was not about to break right now. So he struggled with God all night. That is until God humbles Jacob once more. God humbles Jacob first by taking away his means. Now God humbles Jacob by taking away his strength. I'm going to have to swap guys. I'm sorry. This isn't very, you know, but I'm going to have to talk to you early. I beg your pardon. Let me back up. First, God humbles Jacob by taking away his means. The second way he humbles Jacob is by taking away his strength. Look with me in verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. After a night of wrestling, God takes away what Proverbs 20:29 calls the glory of young men, and that was his strength. Yes, Jacob used his means, but he also used his strength to get what he wanted. We read earlier that he used his strength to grab at his brother's heel on the day of their birth. And so now, to ensure that there were no repeats of Jacob trying to strive with his brother as he did when they were babies, God takes away his strength. Now, how so? Well, by putting his hip out of joint, out of socket. If you know anything about wrestling, boxing, combat sports, or any sport for that matter, you know how vital the hips are to performance. The hips are the, the hinge through which Power and strength transfers from your lower body to your upper body, torso, and arms. The hips enable the boxer to punch, the point guard to shoot, and the sprinter to run. And without a functional, strong hip, an athlete cannot compete, no matter the contest. Consider this illustration. 
from one of America's finest athletes, Vincent Edward Bo Jackson. For those who haven't heard of him, Bo Jackson was a thoroughbred, and he has a list of accolades to prove it. He was a three-sport collegiate athlete for the Auburn Tigers, playing running back, outfielder, and track and field, the latter of which he competed as a sprinter, hurdler, jumper, thrower, and decathlon. He was a Heisman Trophy winner, a Walter Camp Award winner, an SEC Player of the Year, two-time consensus All-American, three-time consensus first-team All-SEC. But it didn't end with college for both. He was a set of the pros as well. Bo was a two-sport professional athlete going the first pick overall in the 86 NFL draft to the LA Raiders and playing outfielder for the Kansas City Royals, Chicago White Sox, and California Angels. Later on, he was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame class of 96. Now I can go on discussing with you the lore of Bo Jackson, how he would break bats over his knees when he would strike out how he would run up outfield walls, literally, kids, YouTube, upfield walls, I mean outfield walls to catch fly balls, or how he has the distinction of putting Brian Bosworth on his back on his way to a touchdown at the goal line. Y'all from Seattle, I mean, y'all from Love Washington, you know what I'm talking about. That, that guy, oh, he's like, oh, yeah, that guy. Now, I could go on about Bo Jackson, but this is not a sermon about Bo Jackson. This is a sermon on how God humbled Jacob. The reason I bring up Bo Jackson is not to hone in on his high points, but to focus on his low points, the point at which he had become injured and was forced to retire. What could stop this man, right? Do you know what it was that injured him so badly that it snubbed out and cut short both his professional baseball and football careers? It was a hip injury. Through a seemingly routine tackle in a playoff game against the Bengals, Bo Jackson's hip was displaced from its socket. And sadly, but within God's providence, with this injury, the glory of a young Bo Jackson, his strength was taken from him, and he was forced to retire. Likewise, God humbled Jacob by displacing his hip and thereby taking his strength crushing his will, and forcing Jacob to retire. But God was not done with him yet. He wasn't. He would use the struggle to humble Jacob a third time as well. God humbles Jacob first by taking away his means, then by taking away his strength. Now he humbles him by taking away his most formidable weapon, and that's his lies. Look at me in verse 26. Again in verse 26. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. The night is now gone and the first light appears. God commands Jacob to release him, but he won't. Not until he is blessed by the man he is fighting. Interesting how Jacob still believes he is calling the shots. He's broke. He's broken. Yet... He still believes he's in a position to make demands to God. But what's more interesting is God's question that follows. He asks, what is your name? At first read, this is a bit of a curveball. Why does God ask him, what is your name? But if you consider for a moment, once again, the life of Jacob, 
it begins to make more sense. Throughout this match, God has taken everything from Jacob that enabled him to carry on cheating throughout his life. Earlier, Jacob tried to bribe Esau with his money, and God has taken it away. At birth, Jacob tried to bribe Esau with his strength, and God has taken that away. And now, he's asked a simple question. Anyone here can answer, what is your name? And do you remember the last time Jacob was asked his name? By someone he was seeking to bless him? It was his father Isaac, when he stole Esau's blessing. And we see this in Genesis 27, 18, and 19. Isaac asked, who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. You see, his whole life, Jacob had grasped, grasped at Esau's blessing. Through bribery, bribery, manipulation, and lying, Jacob had tried to gain all that belonged to his brother. Maybe he cheated Esau because it was native to his character. Or maybe he cheated Esau because their father favored Esau over him, as it says in Genesis 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Or maybe it's both. I don't know. Either way, and in every instance, when Jacob wanted God's blessing, he resorted to cheating to get it. But now all his tricks are gone, you see. He cannot bribe God. He cannot overtake God. And now he is forced to trust God by doing the one thing he's never done. He must tell the truth. And for once, for the first time in his life, he would not steal, he would not lie to steal God's blessing. Rather, he would confess who he is, the truth about himself, and then receive God's blessing. So God asks him his name, and it's on Jacob now. He's been humbled and therefore relents and tells God his name. And in confessing his name, he effectively confessed to God his sins. For when he stated who he was, he told God what he was. God said, what is your name? Jacob replies, I am he who cheats, Jacob. God humbles Jacob. The temptation to lie passes by, and Jacob confesses the truth about himself. And what does Jacob receive for his confession? It isn't the condemnation he so rightly deserves. Rather, it was God's blessing. We've witnessed how God humbled Jacob. Now let us witness how God blesses Jacob. For his confession, God graciously gives Jacob what he's been seeking after his whole life, namely, God's blessing. And this begins in verse 28. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is that you asking my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet, yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his limp, because of his hip, excuse me. Since the day Jacob was born, he was a cheater, and now he is a contender. He is now regarded no longer as a coward, but as a man of valor. Though he lost his hip, he has gained his spine and can now stand upright because he has done what few do 
he was honest with God. And Jacob was in new territory right here. Not only had he been honest, he had been honest from a point of weakness. This took courage to confess who he was. This took faith, neither of which Jacob possessed prior to his struggle with God. He has faced God. He has faced God, his God, and prevails. That is what Israel means. Let me repeat that. He has faced God, and he has prevailed. That is what Israel, his new name, means. Not that he overcomes God or changes God in any way, but rather that Jacob is open, transparent, and walking, as it were, in the light as he is in the light. To prevail with God means to face God on his terms as you are by faith with the expectation that he will not despise you, reject you, nor forsake you, but that he will bless you. To struggle with God and prevail means that you will seek his blessing no matter the cost. It means that it means you die to your flesh, your pride, and expectations in order to bend your will to his. To struggle with God means that you take him at his word and you live by faith and not according to your own understanding. To struggle with God and prevail means to love God. Not for who you want him to be, nor expect him to be, but for who he is, who he's revealed himself to be in his word. And that is what Jacob had done, and he has never been the same since. And if you do likewise, nor shall you be. He bears the bruises of his struggle, of his struggle the bruises which all can see through the limp from his hip injury. But because he was forthright with God, he is no longer ashamed and can now walk upright in the light, upright before men and before God. So from this point forward, no longer is he Jacob the cheater, but Israel the contender, for he has struggled with God and with men and has prevailed. Now a point of application. God loved Jacob unconditionally, and that fact did not become more true after Jacob's struggle with him. Only Jacob's realization of it did. Before Jacob, before God loved Jacob, after God loved Jacob, the only one who changed here was Jacob and not God. Before Jacob did not have the capacity to live by faith in God, after he was forced to and was, reward, was rewarded with God's blessing. And what changed for Jacob? What changed was his soul's capacity to believe the word of God. You see, Jacob's soul was laden with shame for past sins, sins that he had not confessed. And since he had not confessed them, his soul did not have the capacity to believe the promises of God. Shame from unconfessed sin inhibits our capacity to believe God to take him at his word, to live by faith. And there are two ways to deal with shame from sin. The first is a way of confession and repentance. By confessing your sins, you empty out your soul of shame, soul of the shame that comes through sin, giving it the room faith needs to receive forgiveness and apprehend his love. That's one way of dealing with shame from unconfessed sin, but there's a second way. And that is a way of self-deception. In our pride, we sometimes refuse to confess our sin and deal with shame through works righteousness. But when this fails, and it will every single time, we feel worse and doubt whether or not God loved us in the first place. 
Allow me to illustrate, to make this clear. There was a man suffering from a terrible thirst, and on his property was a well of cool, refreshing, life-giving water. The water is abundant and free to drink. All he needed was an empty bucket to draw it out. Fortunately, he had a bucket, but the bucket was empty. Instead, it was full of big rocks, like big old Washington-sized rocks. That was some big rocks and all over the place. And these big, heavy rocks took up room, filling up free space that could be used for water. So the man has a choice. He could either, one, do the hard work to empty the bucket and free up space for water, or two, bypass the hard work of emptying the bucket, leaving little, if any, free space for water. The first allows the man to use the bucket to draw as much water from the well as he wants. The second way will prohibit the man from doing so. The first way begins with humility, to do the hard work in the beginning, to receive refreshment in the end. The second way begins with self-deception, to think in the beginning that the bucket is fine, as it is only to be left thirsty in the end. The first way, which begins with humility, will cause the man to be thankful for the well, and to keep his bucket free of, free of rocks, for when he needs to go to the well again. The second way, which began with self-deception, will cause the man to overlook the main problem, the state of the bucket, and doubt whether or not the well had water in the first place. Sin confessed hurts our consciences, folks, and makes us feel shame. Shame weakens our faith because it limits our soul's capacity to believe the promises of God. When you feel shame and you lack assurance, the solution is not to doubt God's love. That would be like the man with the bucket full of rocks diving into the well and had water. The solution is to empty your soul of the shame through confession and repentance for real and particular sins. I know how hard this is when I'm just telling you what to do. I know personally how hard it is. It is hard work. I wouldn't lie to you and say otherwise. It's a struggle. And it is a fearful thing to confess your sins to a holy God. It ought to be. But remember that when you confess your sins to God, you have something Jacob did not. An advocate, namely Jesus Christ the righteous, who, as in John says in 1 John 2, verse 2, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. Yes, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. That means he has turned God's wrath into grace for you. Jesus is the true Israel. He struggled with God and prevailed in order to acquire both his and our salvation. Jesus, whose name is wonderful and is the only name under heaven given among men by, by which we must be saved. Jesus, who was pierced at his hip for our transgression and who still bears the marks till this day. If you confess your sins to God in the name of Jesus, God is faithful and just to forgive and to take away your shame. Seek forgiveness. Seek God's blessing. And receive from God gospel assurance that comes by way of struggling with God himself. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this text. Lord, there are so many devices and means which you have not ordained 
by which we try and wrangle from you and from everyone else the blessing that we so desperately need. We use lies, we use drugs, we use even our personality as a way to receive blessing. But that will only leave us bankrupt, like Jacob. Father, I pray you put each of your saints in positions where they see those means that they use that deceive them into thinking that they are blessed, and that you will reveal yourself to them, and that you will struggle with them, and that you will bless them as they submit to your holy will. And Heavenly Father, I just want to pray particularly for this church. Though they are without a shepherd, they are the chief shepherd. He oversees them, and I pray that that comfort is enough as they wait patiently for the man that you will bring to them. Heavenly Father, will you bless the rest of this meeting, the rest of our Lord's Day, and, and help us to sink in, allow to sink in, that which we have heard from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name.